where the news and business talks about disengagement and work sucking. So today I'm here talking to the author of Great Mondays, Josh Levine, who is not only the co-author of From Hierarchy to High Performance, but is also an outstanding professional in the field of working with business culture. We talk about culture a lot. People don't want to talk about it at all. They just ignore it and assume that's going to make it better. And or they decide that culture is something that you have to manage and as in control somehow. But you bring a very different approach to it. You bring a design lens to it. And as such, that makes it far more practical and and a lot more fun. Can we talk about what happens when you take a design lens and you put it on onto a company and its interactions and all of that? Yeah, absolutely. I come from a design background. I trained as a graphic designer. I worked in brand strategy for a long time, and I'm just inherently a creative person. My point of view is that, listen, if if we can think about culture as – if culture is as important of a business tool as getting to realize, then why can't we apply the same sort of creative rigor – and visioning to it that that has created you know so many great products has created so many great companies um, the the idea of design being strictly a visual tool is I think not not accurate and so you know the idea here is just to be able to say look it's possible to not only uh, proactively look at and think about how you want your culture to be, but also to design it in a way that, you know, to craft it, right? To be able to control what it is, because I think too often people are like, well, our culture is like this, and I'm not sure what to do about it. You know, maybe we can try to kind of put a ping pong table in or something like that. But I think there's, uh, or believe deeply that there is an opportunity for organizations to really consider from the very start what kind of culture do we want what do we stand for what do we value how do we, how does what does that look like in behaviors and so i think this kind of mashup this unexpected intersection between design and corporate culture really provides some interesting discussion space and fodder for kind of a new way of working a new way of creating a space that people can work and become more engaged in authentically. Now you hit on something with that, that that bothers me because when I hear companies talk, they, they sort of think about the kinds of things that you talked about. We, we put in some fun things so people can play and make work fun, but that somehow stays detached from make work meaningful which I, I find is problematic because it's the idea that if we just kind of paint the walls that all of a sudden everything will look better as opposed to really digging deeper. What have you seen in your work with companies? And, and is there a, is that a schism that I'm just seeing or is that something that you're also witnessing? In other words, the integration of these two ideas is, is considered to be one one is business. That's getting the profit done and focusing on the real stuff versus culture, which is the soft stuff. And we don't really it, it's decorative as opposed to being integral to success. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. I mean, so, you know, I'm sitting here in the Bay Area, which is, you know, just just north of Silicon Valley. And 
When I started to think about company culture 10 years ago, even though I didn't know exactly what it was called at that point, I realized that the conversation was primarily about perks. And that's what those are, those fun things, right? How do we sell uh, potential employees on coming to work here? How do we uh, make it so people are happier at work? And that's, that's where it leads to the kegerator or the happy hours or the, you know, the on-site barista, with, if, you can believe, if you can believe it, that that's a, that's a thing uh, here. It's almost table stakes, which is crazy. And that is a very different, that's a different set of tools. I, I, don't, I don't think it's uh, a business's job to make people happy. I do think it's a business's job to create an environment and a business that is, helps people find more purposeful work. So I think that you've articulated it Oh, right. I mean, I think that's exactly right. So, so this, this disintegration between business over here and kind of soft stuff culture, which is really a misnomer, I think, for those types of things, for the ping pong and pizza over here is uh, a wasted effort, right? It's not, it's not like the ping pong table is useless. It's just not getting at the heart of the problem. And so when we think about culture the the essence of and the starting point of that is really understanding why you're in business and finding the people that believe that believe in that and that want to help you do that and if we do that then then we have this pervasive engagement then we are able to get at you know at least a, we're starting from the same place like the core or the the heart of this the heartwood of this issue right which is why am I working, right? Which is at the end of the day when you are faced with a moment of truth where the commute is just too long, the project you're working on got, you know, for for nine months now, it got canceled, never saw the light of day, you know, whatever it is that, whatever that, that happens, you go, why am I doing this? What is the purpose? What is the point? Why am I not, I just, it's just not worth it anymore. And, and that moment is going to come up for everybody. We're going to have a hard moment at work and continuously. It's not, it's not easy going to work and doing this stuff. But if it is purposeful, then we can overcome those moments. What you've hit on here is the moment of awareness and mindfulness, which I think is what essentially we're, we're looking to activate and, and expand, preferably, in companies, because if people do not come to that space where they say, why am I doing this? What's going on? Then there's a slippery slope into depression and, and, and just disconnection from self and from everything that has meaning. Why don't we talk a bit about what you see as being the key ingredients for this? Because this is a matter of being able to hold more than one point in your mind <laughs> at once right. and holding a, a wider view. So, so let's just look at what those touchstones are. The framework that I'm thinking about and that I've, I've put together are used as sort of the spine of, of my book, the conceptual spine of my book, I, I think are the touch points that you're, they're asking about here. The reason why I wrote this book is, yes, because I believe in you know, the power of company culture to improve business and people's lives. But I could not, when I first started thinking about culture, I, I could not really wrap my mind around what it was or I saw that there was an opportunity I saw other people were doing that and having a hard time what is the definition of it 
Um, how do we actually control for it? How do we actually like? It's such a fuzzy thing, right? That's why you get those ping pong and pizza. You get you get the sort of grasping at straws of like how do we manage manage it? That's like where we started with this conversation. And so I worked with some of my colleagues um, at Culture Lab X, which is a nonprofit that I started sort of in service of this idea to bring people together to advance company culture to come up with what we eventually called the components of culture, the six components of culture, which is a system. And that system starts from the idea of, of purpose. What is the North Star? It then flows to values. What are the guardrails? What do we believe in when we are like behaving, when we are acting? And then that, the next piece where you sort of have the purpose in the sky and the guardrails beside you, you get that behavior, those those actions, you know, that's that's the that is the ultimate symptom or expression of culture is the decisions that you make. So that's the first three, purpose, values, and behaviors. The next three are recognition, rituals, and cues. Recognition is how we emphasize and point out the behaviors that are values aligned. Rituals are how we stay connected with an ever-expanding team or, or group of people that we're working with, which is really important because relationships are the synapses of culture. And then finally, the sixth component is cues. And cues are visual and behavioral reminders of why we're in business, which leads us right back to purpose. And so this cycle becomes a self-reinforcing loop that, again, connects deeply with the kind of the core of the idea, why we're in business, and then gives, provides through explicit and implicit examples, guards, a way to act, right? How to make better decisions so that we're empowered to go forward and say, okay, if I'm making this choice, is it the right thing? Is it helping us achieve this? And that's, you know, that's what I hope to put out into the world is with the book and, and through my work is, you know, a way for people to consider and think about the framework and what levers they need to pull so that they don't just have to say, uh, I don't know what to do. It's such a fuzzy thing. You know, how do we how do we make things better? So this is this is how we can start to do that. Excellent. One of the things that I can't help uh, but observe is that culture is much more sensory than it is cognitive. And what you've done here is given a nice little cognitive frame for it. But in order to put it into play, you actually have to use more of your intelligences. You have to access that creative side as well. And I think there's real um, opportunity here for people that when people sort of look at something and say, oh gosh, I can't get a hold of it. It's not concrete enough. Well, if you use your senses, it becomes quite concrete. And I think it was uh, Dave Packard at, at HP, one of the inside stories at HP, is that when when the HP principles were, were formed, someone would ask him, Dave Packard, how did he know when his culture was working? And he he answered, well, I, I don't, but I can sense when it's not. And, and I thought, wow, that, that really sums it up quite nicely. So what yeah. you're doing here is introducing like a whole sensory component into the process, correct or not? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this grows right back to the idea of design. How do you design at all the different levels, right? How do you make it a full, you know, a, a full experience, visual, verbal, experiential? How do you, because it is, everybody knows, I mean, I think that's exactly right. You know exactly when you walk in the door, you almost immediately feel what that culture is, right? You go, oh, that's, you, you can you can feel it. You maybe you don't know what color it is or like what, you know, whether it's working or not, but you get it. You get a sense of what that is and it's very emotional and connects with you, which is why I think it baffles all of the data nerds out there, right? It's like, what what is culture? Like, how do you measure it? It's a it's a hard thing to do, but I think your your point is exactly right. You know, ex- you know exactly when it's not working. Yeah, there's no question, right? You know what's going to happen, and you're going to see it in the results. I mean, that that's how all these systems show up is in is in results, not just profitability, but but how profit is. You know what the metrics are around that is: are people engaged? Are you? How, what are the costs of stress related illness? What does that look like, yeah. and how's that drawing down? I think that problem is that culture well the problem in the opportunity is that culture is a leading indicator of that profitability we have a client that we're working with right now high growth tech client lots of investment when we're thinking about culture as a leading indicator we're seeing that there are cracks in the culture as this organization is trying to scale so they're scaling it's a high growth tech organization they're firing all cylinders, lots of investment, horrific new CEO, everything's going swimmingly. And their culture has always been pretty darn good. But now we're going in there and they're, they're saying, okay, can, how do you help us scale company culture? And we're going in there and we're saying, look, there are problems that, that are starting to emerge because of the growth that your organization is going through. Some of the less enlightened executives are saying, hey, our culture is fine. We don't need to invest in it. It's fine. We, we have products to get into. We have to launch new products and new markets and, you know, all the regular business stuff that, that uh, you know, I think is appropriately a concern for, for a grow organization. But we see that culture, we know that culture is a leading indicator for performance and that if they don't do something and continue to invest in and and think about the evolution of their culture that that performance is going to fall off and fall off all but assuredly permanently, right? And so you may not see it if they continue on this path, right? Let's say they, um, well, we weren't asked to come in or they didn't heed the advice or they weren't smart enough to think about culture. A, a year down the line, they'll go, man, things are really crappy around here. When did this happen? And then a few a few quarters later, they'll start to see that they're not going to be able to keep up, and so everybody's going to start to go, okay, we got to do and do something about our about our products, and we've got to like re reorg, right? Like the, the sort of you know panacea, right? They've got to reorg. Often, executives don't understand that there is this direct connection, and so that is the challenge and the opportunity of culture is that it's, it is a incredible predictor of performance. But because it's so far out ahead and people don't see that and see it as a challenge, then they, once they do catch up, they go, oh my God, the culture is just a mess. How do we fix it? And then it takes years to get it back on track. It's interesting because one of the phrases I loved in your book was relationships are 
synapses of culture. And, and it sort of matched up with my own observation when I go into organizations. And you can feel the nervous system uh, of a company and you can feel it, or any organization for that matter, even of a team. But you can feel it when you when you sort of go in and, and realize that the nervous system of, of the entire organization is what's driving these decisions. So if it's one of fear of targets, fear of not making the targets, then decision-making will obviously be compromised. But I really, really appreciated that. And, and of course, that leads us into rituals, which is, you know, a, an anthropological term that probably has a, a limited understanding in, in the corporate world. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Because moving from that idea, that realization of like, oh my gosh, this is not the world we wanted to create, into how do we create a better world, requires a heck of a lot more awareness. Rituals, like you said, in anthropology, the rituals are kind of recurring um, events within communities and cultures, right? So it's something that happens with some regularity, and it is a marker or a way to bring people together. In this context, I've sort of I've I've advanced the idea or shifted it a bit for internal use um, within organizations, and say that rituals are the ways that be at the activities and the behaviors that we take on that help us connect with one another and they certainly can be markers of events and um, uh, uh, certain happenings but they don't have to be they can be just unto themselves and the reason why this is important is because and again, I'll, I'll point to kind of the extreme circumstance of these high-growth companies is that we as humans have a limit to how many people or how many relationships we we can can have, right? And so it's, it's a function of how much energy we put into it and what we perceive to be the benefit. And so once we have our tribe at work and we're, there's new people coming in all the time, we, while we would like to maybe get to know them, we don't have the time or the energy and the benefit just isn't there for us inherently. And so rituals are the way in which an organization and a community can be explicit from the organization or inherent from the community um, bottom up, can establish and strengthen the relationships. Because if you do not have those relationships across an organization is when you start to get those fiefdoms developing, you start to get sort of inter-competition in an unhealthy way, and you don't really know who people are anymore, and you can't work with them, right? People are like, oh, we need to collaborate more, and it's like, well, if you don't know who they are as humans, you know, you may know that Arjun was just hired over in engineering, but you don't, you don't know who they are, right? You don't know them, and and it's very hard to work with somebody that you don't know. And on the flip side, it's a joy to work with someone and to really get to know them. And I think it's one of the great joys of our opportunities we have working someplace is connecting with other humans. And and so these rituals are the way that we continue to keep the synapses of culture healthy, right? So that when we, you know, if there is a positive behavior, and a positive culture, that can spread. If those synapses are not engaged, if they're broken, or not fully connect or functioning, then 
that culture does not get transmitted and you get sort of these sub pockets. Maybe they're good, maybe they're not, but why leave it up to chance? Yeah, excellent. And I, of course, I'm assuming here, and I don't want the listeners here to assume, when we talk about connection, we're talking about heart-to-heart, you know, real meaningful connection versus a like or a... Uh... <laughs> a follower? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. I, I think that's right, a heart-to-heart connection. Do you need to bare your soul to your manager? No. But do you actually need to understand who she is? Uh, yeah, I think that's an, that's an indelible quality to great relationships and relationships are the only way we get anything done at work. And you also talk about, and this is another distinction that I like to make because I'm watching the evolution of companies in my own work. A lot of them have either mission statements or purpose statements sticking on the wall, but their capacity to live that is a whole other level of mastery and therefore a greater level of challenge. What's the distinction in the work you're doing between getting the purpose statement right in the sense of it, 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 it's shared, it has meaning, people can feel inspired by it and engage with it. It has some, some longevity to it, some, some vision in, embedded in it, and also then taking that and turning around and putting it, infusing it into every decision in the organization. I think purpose is just one part, right? Purpose is a great job of setting the framework, setting the vision, what are we here? What are we showing up to do? But it's not, it's not going to be the only, it's not going to be the thing that's going to help you make your decisions day to day. That's going to be those values, right? So it's, it's almost like a combination between purpose and values where you have, I know where we're headed big picture, but also values are how we make our choices. So I would say that without values, purpose is merely an inspiring keynote, but I don't know what to do with that. I now have this energy and this idea, but when we have our values in place and we reward behaviors that are aligned with our values, then that is going to be much more effective, a much more effective tool for helping us to make, helping me or my team to make choices that are going to keep us on track. Now you also talk about beliefs, and I, I, I'd like to explore this a bit because if there's one area where people get confused. It's values and beliefs. And, and, of course, there are places where there is overlap. But if you make your decisions based on beliefs, then you'll be repeating the past and holding yourself in a lovely circular holding pattern. If you're making your decisions based on your values, you're actually designing the future. How have you distinguished these two, and, and, and how have you discovered you know, what kind of clarity that brings to when people actually go to connect the dots uh, with respect to purpose? Here's how I'll, I think, dis- distinguish between the two. And, and I agree, there are there is overlap. But values is an exercise, defining your values or refreshing your values, which is kind of the corporate parlance for for this work, right, is an exercise in prioritization. And the way I describe it to my clients is there are things that your company is already good at, right? You guys haven't mastered. There are things that your company is currently working on. And then there's things in, the, in, in your company that you'd like to be better at and you want to stretch forward towards. If we have to choose, and I always make my clients choose the 
three to five things that that become their values, the three to five most important elements of their decision making, of what their organization is believes is most important in doing the work, then you can't have all of them. You can have a maximum of five. You can't have all of them. So don't waste one of your one of your variables, one of your values on the things that you've already mastered. And look forward and say, what are the things we need to get better at and what are the things we want to stretch forward to? To me, there is going to be the difference. Like if we want to grow as an organization, what are we trying to do? It's a tool to get us to look forward and say, we're going to be challenged, we're challenging it, right? Because if we already know that we're really good at diversity and inclusion. We have we we have pay equity across genders. We have a really great resource groups for all all the different ethnicities inside of our organization. If, if it's all built in, we 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 become really good at that recruiting those kinds of people. It's self reinforcing. We don't need to put that into the values anymore. So let's free that slot up and say now. Let's move forward. Let's look forward. What is it we're not good at? What is it that's holding us back? How do we grow in a forward, future-facing direction? One of the things I appreciate about your book is you've done a crossover between a book and a workbook. So company can, you know, if there's a, a modicum of, of change agent expertise internally, then quite a bit of that work can be done internally. The, the role of consulting has shifted over the years from consultants holding the expertise to consultants being part of the team as, as a requirement for providing some, you know, a distance from, from the situation. What, what do you see as being the real value in the work you're doing? Because as I say, the workbook is outstanding. Lots of great things in there for that, that certainly provide thought or, or food for thought or opportunity to think through quite a bit of these ingredients. But when you go in there, what do you discover happens? Yeah, um, and I think about this question all the time, right? How are we? How 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 come they're hiring us? And I think there's a few things. I'll, I'll I will bear my I bear my soul and tell you, you know, very honestly what I think the value is, and clearly because I'm giving it away. Basically, giving it away, right? In this book, it's not the it's not the exercises or the content. It is the idea that, or the acknowledgement that we, as the organization, I'm speaking from their point of view, can't do it alone. We don't have that expertise, and we need help, right? So, one is just acknowledging, being aware that you need help. And so by bringing someone in and um, attributing budget to it, it, it indicates to everyone, hey, this is important. This is work that we're going to do. So there's a symbol. Josh and Great Mondays are coming in, and they are going to help us with our values. They are going to help us with our culture. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize this is something we're going to be working on. That's one. Two is the way that we do our work results in alignment across the kind of a core group of folks inside an organization. 
Sometimes it's just the executives, but more often it's executives and other uh, culture champions. And anybody can come up with a set of values that are fine. You know, if you're inside the company, you know kind of what you're working on, and they'll, they'll be fine. They'll be good enough. But if you don't get agreement on that solution, you don't get agreement around what your purpose is, then it doesn't, it's dead in the water. It doesn't mean anything. What we do is we bring people along, right? And so by the end of it, we say, here is what you all came up with. And through our process, discussion, relationship building, workshops, we have created uh, an ecosystem of belief that enables people to go, yes, remember this experience we went through and we created these things, these tools, that's what we're working from and that's why I'm doing this now. That's why we're, we're, you know, we're gonna hire these people or fire these people or go into this market, whatever that is, right? And that's the value. The value is that we go in and we essentially symbolize the change that that the CEO wants or the head of HR wants or whatever it is, we help them get that done. Josh, where can people go for the book? Uh, they can just head over to greatmondays.com and uh, there's all that information there, it's information about me, about the book, about the work that we do here at the company. And then you can also find it on, uh, on Amazon and anywhere that you, or anywhere else that you uh, get your reading material regular habitual gatherers of books <laughs> <laughs> that's right well like like i said in the book like i said in the, uh, the 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 preface of the book it's like i collect these things as sort of idea trophies right? yeah i love that phrase <laughs> idea trophies that's brilliant i just love it any particular tips you've got for for um people listening to this program for their monday morning when they go back to you know they listen to this program and they go back into work the next monday any particular tips you'd like to offer them I would say, be the change, be the culture change you want to see in your organization, right? That's I, I put in the book, almost like Gandhi said, be the culture change that you want to see. It's not, you can't, do not wait for your executive or your CEO to say, okay, everybody, now culture is going to get better. This is something that anyone from the day one intern to the seasoned vice president can start on day one and, and can start on Monday and say, how do I want to design the culture of my part of the business, my sphere of influence? What is it that I can do right now that's going to change the way that we think about our work so that we can be more engaged and find more purposeful work in every day. Josh, thanks very much for being on the program. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. There is a core thread that ties all the conversations I've done with so many people over the 10 years I've been podcasting. It is that paying attention to the human quality of what's going on in the workplace is really the core to any kind of successful transformation. I was on a webinar the other day where something like 80% of companies are in transition and of them or transformation, and out of them, perhaps 30-something will, will succeed. That means a lot of attention needs to be paid to what's the context that decisions are being made, what's the context, what's the workplace health environment. 
uh, being, you know, what's the quality of it. And certainly that's why I wrote the chapter in, in From Hierarchy to High Performance on the hidden costs of ignoring workplace health, and also why Josh wrote his chapter on culture. And of course, you'll find more on that in From Hierarchy to High Performance, which is available on uh, online, of course, the usual outlets. And uh, I hope you'll grab it and take a look at it. It's just a short read, fun, and uh, great fun to work with. A wonderful team on writing it, too. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you for being a part of this program. If you've enjoyed this program, I am looking for sponsors to handle the technical stuff. And so I would uh, deeply appreciate any references or support you can provide or refer me to in that area. My name is Donna Jones, and my website's from Insight to Action. I'm also on LinkedIn, of course, and on Twitter at EP, uh, D-A-W-N-A underscore Jones. Thank you very much for joining me.